from the book of the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5. We begin to read at verse 21, Matthew 5, verse 21. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he gives in these chapters the behavior that he expects of citizens of the kingdom, of you and me. This is how we ought to be living. We begin to read then at verse 21 of Matthew 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and that thy whole body should, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. 
For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So far we read God's holy word. The basis of that and many other passages of God's word is the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 40. Concerning the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, the catechism asks in question 105, what doth God require in the sixth commandment? And the answer that neither in thoughts, nor words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another, but that I lay aside all desire of revenge, also that I hurt not myself, nor willfully expose myself to any danger. Wherefore also the magistrate is armed with the sword to prevent murder. But this commandment seems only to speak of murder, in forbidding murder, God teaches us that he abhors the causes thereof, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he accounts all these as murder. But is it enough that we do not kill any man in the manner mentioned above? No. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt 
as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, you recall that we are in the second table of the law, God's will for his covenant people. According to Lord's Day 34, the second table of the law tells us what duties we owe, owe to the neighbor, what we owe to the neighbor. And Lord's Day 2 said what summarizes it is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the summary of the second table. We know that the second table is based on the first table. The first table shows what our responsibility is toward God and is summed up with the words, thou shalt love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that this is the foundation of it all. If a person does not love God or keep the first table of the law, he cannot begin to keep the second table of the law. So no matter what we're considering of the law, the love for God is essential. And therefore, even loving the neighbor is loving the neighbor for God's sake. Because we love him, therefore, we love the neighbor. The fifth commandment showed us that we love the neighbor by honoring, loving all those who are in authority over us. Parents, elders, policemen, teachers, governors, presidents, we honor, respect, obey, and love those who are in authority. Love them for God's sake. And that's very easy to keep in mind, of course, because God is the one who put those parents over us. God is the one who put these elders over us. God is the one who put the President of the United States into office. We honor them because God has put them in authority over us. The Sixth Commandment is also very important for our lives. It mirrors most closely the command that summarizes the second table, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This love for the neighbor has no exceptions. Love the neighbor in your home, church, work, or at play. Love the neighbor. Your neighbor may be a caring husband, a dutiful and devoted wife, it may be pleasant and obedient children in the home. It may be parents who are kind and generous. Brothers and sisters who are kind and helpful. Your neighbor may be a member of the church who is pleasant, spiritually minded. It may be your caring boss. That's your neighbor too. Love your neighbor. But understand, on the other hand, your neighbor may be a very different kind of person. 
maybe a husband who's very demanding. He doesn't care about what his wife thinks or wants, only concerned about himself. And maybe a wife who is cantankerous and clamoring. And maybe children who are rude and in constant need of discipline. And maybe parents who do not really understand and do not show, demonstrate much love. Maybe a brother, a big brother who's a tease or a sister that's catty. Maybe a member of the church who's not very spiritually minded and in fact is argumentative. It may be the boss who is very difficult and stingy and doesn't have any interest in your well-being whatsoever. Even the stranger that you meet on the street. All these two are your neighbors that God says, love them without exception. Notice the command comes to us in a negative way. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. And the reason the commandments come in a negative way is because that's our nature is exactly to do those very things. It's in the heart of every man, woman, and child to murder. So God has to come and say, don't do that. Don't kill. We are surrounded by the evidence of this murderous heart in our, congreg- in our country. Life is cheap. And the news media daily remind us of the murders that occur in our country. Man is prone by nature to the opposite of what God commands, namely to love the neighbor. He's prone to hate and to kill. That we understand. But the more difficult question is, why does God come to you and to me Why does God come to a covenant father? Why does God come to a covenant mother? Why does God come to covenant children who have been purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ, who have the spirit within them, and God has to say to us, thou shalt not kill. To us? Yes, to us. Because that murder isn't just found in the hearts of the people out there. It's in our hearts. It's in our hearts. And that's what we have to see this morning. If you go out thinking, no, I'm not like the world. I don't murder. I don't have that problem in my life. You aren't listening. God is talking to you and me, to his covenant people. Do not kill. So let's... Examine the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism under the theme, this commandment six, love required, murder forbidden. Love required, murder forbidden. Notice, first of all, the command. Secondly, the reason for the command. And then thirdly, the way of keeping this command. The sixth commandment forbids anything that is harmful to the neighbor. The 
Catechism explains that in the very first question and answer, that neither in thoughts, words, nor gestures, much less in deeds, I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor by myself or by another. This is violated in so many ways by the taking of the life of a human being. We are surrounded by a culture where this is happening every hour. Millions of abortions, millions of abortions of unborn children. Euthanasia, or as is wrongly called, mercy killing. Ten states and the District of Columbia all have legalized euthanasia, that you can take your own life. In our own, what is for most of us, our own mother country, the Netherlands, it is a way of life to die when you feel like dying, taking your own life. Murder, outright murder in America is becoming commonplace. Shootings in schools, malls, in workplaces. Major cities that have 600 or more people killed every year and countless more shootings and other acts of violence against the citizens of those cities. Police being labeled and killed deliberately. All of that clearly condemned by the Sixth Commandment. But there are so many other forms of murder found right inside homes that sometimes break out but many times are hidden. Abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse. It may include physical beatings of children, refusing to feed them, tying them up. It can also be psychological, murder, belittling, constant criticism, humiliation. That arises out of the hatred that is found in the every human heart. Hatred. Disregard of another person, only what I want. It does severe damage to the soul that is unspeakable. The same thing is true of sexual abuse. That likewise is a sin against the sixth commandment, first of all. Sixth commandment, killing the one who is stronger, the one who has authority, one who has some position of power that manipulates and imposes his will upon someone else and abuses someone else for his own gratification. All of that is far, part of all abuse, and sexual abuse only adds sexual gratification to that. That, too, is a dreadful sin against the six commandment. These are matters no one likes to talk about. These are matters we don't like to face in the churches and admit that, yes, indeed, this is found in the Protestant Reformed churches. We don't like to think about that in the Dune 
Protestant Reformed Church? Who likes to think about that? Who likes to even imagine that that could be true of someone in this congregation? But we need to talk about it. We need to face it and do what we can to prevent and forbid all murder. As the Catechism makes plain, the command forbids not merely the act of killing, but also what arises out of where it arises, wounding, hating, dishonoring the neighbor. These are grievous sins of the heart as well as coming out in activities. Hatred is the very opposite of love. Hatred does not seek the good of someone, but the, the evil of that person upon that person. Really, to destroy and get that person out of my life, that's hatred. Wounding can be done not merely with a fist or with a knife, but wounding can be done with deadly words that wound the soul. Dishonoring is dragging others down. It is putting them in a bad light. Are these sins found in the church of Jesus Christ? Is it, does it happen that in our schools that a student or a group of students is mocked, not allowed to enjoy school life, but is ridiculed and put out of play or put out of the circle of friends? You can call it bullying, but it really is murder. It's murder. And as we get older, we have more powerful weapons of cruelty. We can, in the secrecy of our own bedroom, text out evil about people that ridicule fellow students on Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter and murder them. That's what it is. It's murder. There is nothing innocent about this behavior. It must have the strictest and strongest discipline, just as God required the death penalty for murder. We must not excuse any of that kind of behavior. In the church of Jesus Christ, very sad to say this also happens, listening to gossip. Passing on evil about other people whom we do not like. Even a fellow believer passing along evil stories. Oh, but they're true, we say. But we pass them along. That's wounding. That's dishonoring. That is murder. That's what God hates. All of those forms of murder. He says, no, what I require of you is love. That's my requirement, that you love. According to Colossians 3.14, love is the bond of perfectness. It's an interesting description of what love is. Love is the bond of perfectness. Love as a bond draws together. That's what love does. Hatred pushes away. 
Love draws to oneself. It makes a bond. Love bonds a husband and a wife. Love bonds parents and children. Love bonds brothers and sisters in the home, brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ. A bond forms there that's called love. It's called a bond of perfection, of perfectness or perfection, because love makes complete, that's the idea of perfection, that it makes complete any relationship. A husband and a wife who are married legally but do not have love bonding them have a horrible marriage. A household where parents live with children but there's no love bonding them together, that's an abominable kind of life. A classroom in a school where there is not love that unites all the members, all the classmates, and the teacher is not a God-approved classroom. That's the world's classroom. Love doesn't rule there. In our schools, love must rule. The bond that completes, that makes perfect what our relationship ought to be, home, church, work, school, love is the bond of perfection. Are you able to love? Are you able to love your neighbors? Love is fairly easy in some circumstances of life when your neighbor is a good fellow, honest, pleasant, fun to be with. When your neighbor treats you with respect and is kind, but it is obviously much more difficult when the, the opposite is true. And the problem is in life, we're always dealing with sinners. There aren't any perfect people in this world. Sinners who hate, sinners who mistreat, mistreat us. Sinners who lie, who dishonor, who wound, sinners who attack, who say all kinds of unkind things of, about us, who take something out of context and make it seem as though we said this or we intended that when we didn't mean that at all. Who do this in blogs, Snapchats, in their own private conversations, in texts and Twitters. They may outright lie. They may say things about you that are completely untrue. And there are those in authority who abuse. Husbands have abused their wives. Some children, some students have been sexually abused by those in authority. There are times when God's people are horribly mistreated in persecution. They are reviled, they are tortured, they are imprisoned and put to death. Horrible cruelty God's people sometimes endure at the hands of the world, but sometimes 
at the hands of church members. In such circumstances, the question is then, how will we respond to that? We really have two choices. We can murder or we can love. Those are the two choices. Through all of the abuse, through all of the pain and suffering that God's people endure, we can murder back or we can love. Love manifests itself, first of all, in forgiveness. When someone sins against us and genuinely confesses that, genuinely confesses sin, gives clear evidence of heartfelt repentance, and Jesus' word to us is, you forgive 70 times 7. There's no limit to the forgiveness that you give. If there is not genuine repentance, then you do not forgive. You do not. You withhold it. There is nonetheless a desire to, re, to be able to forgive. A desire that that individual who has sinned against us will repent, will turn, will genuinely confess. Now let's be clear that forgiveness does not mean that life necessarily has to go back to the way it was. Sometimes the sin against the soul can be so grievous that a person says, all right, you've confessed your sins, I I'm, I'm, can see the genuineness of it. It doesn't mean that our relationship can be the way it used to be. Sometimes that's impossible. But there is a genuine desire to forgive. Understand that the refusal to forgive someone who will not repent, that's not hatred, that's not seeking revenge, that's simply following the biblical way. And the biblical way is when a man confesses his sins, you forgive. When he confesses, you forgive. But now the difficulty begins. How does a believer respond when there is no repentance? The response must not be that of the world, a form of murder seeking revenge. Jesus, in the passage we read, spells it out for us. You have been hurt, been hurt, you have heard, verse 43, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. That's the response of love. Not murder. Verse 46, he reminds us, For if ye love them which love you, the people that love you and the people that are nice to you, if you just love them, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? Ungodly people can have a form of love toward other people. 
who love them. You're called to a much higher standard than that. You are not merely citizens of the United States. You are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that's your calling. Love. Even your enemies. Even your enemies. That's what the sixth commandment requires. Jesus illustrated that. He didn't merely give a nice talk here about how we should act. Jesus demonstrated, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, He left us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's what the sixth commandment is about, loving even those who grievously wound us to love. Convicted of that, my wife and I started to pray for those who have grievously wounded. I'm talking about those who left the Protestant Reformed Church and stand outside and all kinds of horrible accusations against us. If that's all we do is talk about them with disgust, turn away from them, then that indicates we don't love them. That we don't care if they go on to their ruin. We must care. We must love. We must pray for their repentance, their turning. The reason for that is very simple. God is love. That's the, the second point. It's all about that. God is love. But let's, let's explain that. Let's develop that a bit. First of all, God demonstrates love to his creation. And that's very instructive for us to understand the nature of love. God so loved the world, we read, that he gave his only begotten son. Now, that includes the whole creation. God loved his creation. God did not make something and then despise it. God made a creation, and he loved it, and he cares for that creation. He cares for every creature in the whole face of the earth, providing food, life, strength. God loves his creation. Now, there's obviously a difference between God's love for the creation generally and God's love for man because God made man in a covenant relationship, a relationship of love and friendship that God had with Adam. Man is unique. And Adam stood as the head of that whole creation. And even though he broke the covenant and doesn't deserve anything of the love of God, Yet we know that one day that whole creation will be reunited under Jesus Christ who is clearly the Son of God's love. God requires that we love the neighbor as a fellow human being. God does not require that you love the neighbor's cat. And you cannot really have that 
bond of love with an animal. I know, of course, you can have a, a certain attachment to a, to a pet. I realize that. But it's not the bond of perfectness that Colossians 3 says love is. And if an animal is killed, you don't have to put the one that killed the animal to death. Whereas if a man is killed, the murderer must be put to death. The catechism said this. The magistrate is given the sword exactly to do that, to stop murder and to punish those who do it. Why this significant difference between an animal and a human being? Let me point to two things. First of all, God created the human race out of one flesh. The human race is all one flesh. All the children here know that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, took Eve out, the rib out of Adam, formed Eve, and that they then had children. They are our first parents. Every single person on the face of the earth came from Adam and Eve. Every single one. There are diversities of races because God loves diversity. And at the Tower of Babel, all these different races began to form. And, and that's, of course, for the beauty of the church, finally, that all these different races will make up the one body of Jesus Christ. And yet, they are one flesh. No matter if they're black or white or oriental or whatever race, they are all one flesh. And a Chinese person might say to you, but wait, I'm way different from you, way different. And we could acknowledge there are differences, and yet at the same time we say, but wait a minute. We both have two eyes, two ears, one nose, one mouth. As a child, we had 20 baby teeth and 32 adult teeth. doesn't matter what race you are. We have babies that are developing in the womb of a mother, nine months. It doesn't matter what race you are. We all have a heart and lungs and kidneys and blood and, and nerves and bones. We are one flesh. Anybody you meet is part of that one flesh. That means we are to love them. As the hand is to serve the whole of the body, so we are to serve the, any human being, part of the one flesh. And we care for them. And we are to love them. In addition to that, God created man different, unique, from every other creature on the face of the earth. God made that plain in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, when he said to Noah, you may now eat the animals that are in the creation. But then he said in verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Man is different from all of the other creatures on the earth. Now that brings up a bit of a theological problem. 
You see the theological problem? Most people who have any religion who would say it's wrong to murder would say it's wrong to murder because every person has the image of God. But we say, no, that's not true. The Bible doesn't allow that. Because the image of God, according to Scripture, if you search the Scriptures and pull it all out, the image of God is righteousness, holiness, and a true knowledge of God. That's what the image is. When Adam fell, he lost the image. In fact, the image was turned into its very opposite, so that Jesus could say to the, to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. That's who you, rep- that's how you, who you look like spiritually. Not righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge, but the very opposite of that. So the children born into this world do not have the image of God. Righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge. Only believers have that restored to them. And yet God says, you may not murder anyone, believer or unbeliever. That's because that Individual is unique, and and Genesis 9 is not saying that all men have the image right now. It says he created them that way. And in order to be created to be someone that could have the image of God, he had to be created in a special way, a rational creature who could think, who could make plans, who could invent new things, a moral creature that knew the difference between stealing or not, killing or not, a moral creature. Man was created a rational, moral creature. The cow is not that. The giraffe is not that. The lion is not that. The whale is not that. But you are. And every single person born into this world is that. Now, the best way to describe it is this way. Man was created able to bear an image. He's an image bearer. If he's a child of God, he's carrying the image of God. If it's a child of the devil, he's carrying the image of the devil. But that's what makes him different from all other creatures. He's an image bearer. And God said, because I created man that way, you may not murder. You may not. You must love your neighbor as yourself. And again, that all ties back to God, that God is love. God demands that his people, because this this law is to you, it's to me. God says to you and to me, you must manifest in your life the love that I am, the love that I have shown to you. It's a love that is unconditional. It's a love that does not depend on you as if God saw something good in you and said, all right, I love you because there's something good in you or because you fulfilled some kind of a condition. Therefore, I love you. No, it's unconditional love. For people who forfeit the right to that love, day after day, God still says, I love you. I always will. That will never change. It's not a conditional love. 
It's unconditional. And it's a generous love. It gives and it gives and it gives. The ultimate gift of God's love is Jesus Christ, the Son of His love. For God so loved that He gave His Son, Jesus. And it's a powerful love. It's a love that draws unto Himself, out of darkness, out of death, unto life, fellowship with God. Now God says, so you know what the love of God is. I have demonstrated it to you. I demonstrated it to you every single day of your life. Now you take that love and you show it. Show it to everybody. You show my love to everyone. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love those who are not worthy of it. Can you do that? Can you love someone who hates you? God said, you hated me, and I loved you, and still do. Can you love someone who speaks evil of you? And God says, you blaspheme my name. You complain about what I do. You speak against me. And yet I love you. Can you love someone who is unfaithful to you? And God's word is, you are unfaithful to me day after day. And yet I love you. Can you love someone who sins against you repeatedly over and again? And God says, every day you sin against me. And yet... I love you. Love your neighbor. Show them the love that I show you. Obviously, there's another level to that love when you speak of believers. A love that unites believers those who have been purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ, those in whom the Spirit has given life and into whose heart the Spirit has poured the love of God abundantly. Two people who have had that done to them recognize that. They recognize the work of God in that fellow believer and that draws them together. The power of God's love draws them together together. It's the hatred in our heart that break, pushes us apart, but it's the love that should pull us together. That makes it possible to have a close bond of love between two people, between believers. Jesus makes that a mark of discipleship. This verse to me is something that we ought to read over and again. As Jesus, the night before he was put to death, said to his disciples this, A new commandment 
I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And then this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. How will, how will the people around you know that you are disciples of Jesus Christ? Because you uphold the truth, as important as that is. Because you go to church twice on Sunday, as important as that is. No. This is how all men will know that you are my disciples. If ye have love one to another. That's how they'll know that you are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Love one to another. A mark of discipleship. The very opposite of the world. John wrote that in his gospel. But now in his first epistle, in chapter 3, he talks about the same thing, verse 11 of chapter 3, for this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. And then he says, but not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. The contrast between the church and the world. The church kills their unborn child. I'm sorry, the, the world. The world kills their unborn child. They take a rifle and go to school and see how many people they can kill. They kill over a drunken argument in a minor disagreement. They will, they will kill themselves using drugs or suicide. But God commands us to love, not as the children of the devil, not as Cain, but the children of God. The mark of discipleship is love. And that then is the way of keeping the commandment. Question 107, but it, is it enough that we do not kill? And the answer, of course, is no, that's not enough. For when God forbids envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. To now, it, it will explain that. What, what does that mean now? To show patience, peace, meekness, mercy, and all kindness towards him, and prevent his hurt as much as in us lies, and that we do good even to our enemies. This is going to require of us tremendous self-denial, putting down that old nature, 
the nature that only loves self, the nature that is prone to hate God and the neighbor. That's our nature. All the evil that arises out of that anger, yes, anger, specifically mentioned by the catechism, is a form of murder, anger. Our anger, angry, our anger arises, think about it, whether it's in your home, church, work, wherever, where does our anger come from? It's because we're frustrated. Things are not going my way. It's because our plans were ruined. It's because someone wrecked our possessions. Because our name was cast in the mud because we were insulted. Anger. Anger pushes away. Love draws in. Scripture says, put away all wrath. That's anger, same thing. Put it away. Put it away. Jesus describes that in the passage that we read in Matthew chapter 5, 22. I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother Raka, like saying stupid, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in anger of hell, danger of hell fire. Put away all anger. Put away all desire of revenge. That, 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 that requires tremendous power of the Holy Spirit, giving us patience with other people, giving us meekness with self. Not looking for me, not looking for my advantage, not looking to get back at someone. It requires that we love. Love seeks the good of the neighbor. Love is self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing for the sake of the neighbor. I will, I'll take the injury, I'll take the hurt, I'll take the loss for the sake of the neighbor. It defends the neighbor's good name as much as we possibly can, defends them, not passes on an evil story about someone. And love is always given. Giving, if we think that we have given enough, I've given enough of myself, I've given enough of my resources, then you think about Jesus who gave himself to the cross, to hell, to infinite suffering. He gave his life for us. Be imitators of him, Paul says. Be imitators of him. In Ephesians 5, be ye therefore followers or imitators of God as dear children and walk. And then right after that, what is he going to say? How are you going to imitate God? Walk in love. Walk in love. As Christ hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God. That's how we imitate God. Do you see how significant this commandment is for your life, for my life? 
and what a struggle it is for us. We who have such a small beginning of the new obedience, just as beginning, we imagine ourselves, if we really admit it, to be quite a bit better than most. We're not people that go out and shoot others. We abhor those doctors that perform abortions of unborn children, take a gun into a school and just start shooting children? Who can conceive of such a thing? But the catechism says, the Bible says, now that's our nature. We are by nature murderers. Murderers. That's why we go to the cross. There we confess our sins. And we plead for grace to subdue that murderous nature, to subdue it, put it down. We find ourselves at the cross again this morning. And there alone we rejoice. Not only that Jesus has paid for all those sins, and it can be very discouraging how, how little we love, how many times we could have said a kind word to someone and didn't. How many times we could have helped someone but did not. When we should have stopped someone from committing evil words or actions, and didn't. When we actively hurt or wounded or raged at someone else. We have a Savior who did, who lived this life perfectly. Never sinfully angry. Always giving. Always loving. No matter what. He loved, and his perfect obedience becomes our righteousness, our righteousness before God. God looks at his obedience and imputes that to us. And he continues to say to us day after day that he loves us, and he works in us the power of his love to be able to love ourselves. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word of truth, for the warning, the, the rebukes, the admonitions, but especially we thank Thee for Jesus and pray that Thou wilt work in us by His Spirit a love for Thee and a love for the neighbor that is genuine out of the love that Christ has demonstrated for us. This we pray in His name. Amen.